Welcome to Exciting Economic Development. This episode is called, I Don't Know What. I don't know what's happening with Donald Trump, the peach himself. It just keeps going on and on. And I thought, think, my God, I'm getting tired of all this news. Let's just move on and let's get rid of him. I know things take time and it's due, you know judicial process, but I don't know. Yeah, and then I don't know what's happening in terms of, I guess, uh, life and people who get sick and uh, and I've experienced that a lot with uh, you know friends and colleagues and. It saddens me, and some really good people have really gone through some hard struggles, and so what's up with that? And I just, you know, a lot of times, you know, you just need to be there for people, but it's unfortunate what uh, the pain and suffering people have to go through. And so this podcast, you know, I guess is in relation to that. Um, a good friend of mine, Jerry Gabnett, and colleague in economic development, will be speaking today. And uh, it is a bit of a long uh, podcast and has a different, uh, has a, a real economic development flavor to it. But a lot of really good information. Jerry's just such a knowledgeable guy. And a lot of good information on economic development. So uh, stay tuned and uh, listen, keep listening to the exciting economic development. I don't know if this one's as funny as you would want it to be, but yeah, it's hard to make economic development funny. Welcome to Exciting Economic Development, Jerry. Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about yourself. I, I did get your bio, and uh, um, I think that would be first probably a good place to start. Sure. Um, uh, currently, uh, I'm undergoing a, a bit of a health challenge at this point in time. But uh, when I'm working full-time, I'm the Director of Economic Development and Tourism at Strathcona County, uh, located uh, right around Metro Edmonton. Our population is about uh, 100,000 people, and one of the biggest drivers that we have going in our economy is uh, oil and gas. Uh, we have three refineries, uh, an upgrader, and some petrochemical plants that are located in there. One of the great things that we enjoy about our, our particular community is uh, located in the Metro Edmonton region, yet we are taking uh, control of our own destiny by the economic development plan that we've done to create wealth in our community. So one of the things that uh, uh, people always ask is, what is economic development? Well, the definition that we use here in, uh, in Strathcona County is economic development is when we're trying to attract businesses, retain businesses, growing businesses, and growing the wealth in the community. So we've done fairly good here. Uh, our average uh, household sal- uh, income is over $160,000. Our economic family income is over $188,000. So that puts it amongst the top uh, here in the province of Alberta. The other thing that we're really proud of is our share of non-residential versus residential. So non-residential tax base is 64%. Residential is 36%. So we're, we're doing something right. And it really adds to our quality of place and quality of life for our particular residents. Yeah, it's really healthy, right? You're non-res to res, right? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and what's the work out too about uh, when I went through the 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 the, the uh, PowerPoint presentation you sent me? It's about thirty billion dollars in uh, projects on the go right now. 
Yeah, currently we've got uh, existing projects that are happening in, in the heartland, in our portion of the heartland, um, are already in place. It's about $30 billion. Uh, currently we've got one project. It's with uh, a firm called Interpipe, and mm-hmm. they're, they're doing the petrochemical complex out there. That particular project is $4.1 billion. So 3.5 mm-hmm. on the capital cost, and then $600 million on uh, what they call the central utili- utilities building. Currently, we have over 2,500 workers on site building that particular complex. And it's been uh, an amazing logistical challenge getting the vessels to the place, working with the companies, and ensuring that a lot of the goods and services are purchased within the province of Alberta. This uh, uh, particular project had some tax credits that actually helped make the final investment decision. And uh, those tax credits were done by the previous government. And our current government right now is is looking to extend those tax credits. So tax credit is when the firm is up and operating and they're actually foregoing taxes to the government at that point in time. So that really uh, doesn't distort it too much. They don't get cash up front. It's uh, foregone taxes that are happening. So that's really quite good. We're also working with four other groups and uh, the size of some of the projects they're looking at is uh, one projects between eight and $12 billion one between four and 6 billion and a couple uh, just under a billion dollars each. So that's amazing. stuff is still, still happening out here. Uh, things are, are going on, but uh, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, definitely still a challenge. I always talk about people that are involved in the oil and gas business in Alberta and uh one of the things that happens is if uh, your neighbor, uh, job statistics, uh, we lost, let's say, uh, 10 jobs last month here in Strathcona County. Well, it's a statistic, but if your neighbor loses its, uh, his job or her job, that's a real tragedy and the effect it has for the entire family fabric that goes forward as well. No, for sure. So with all these projects that are happening, what is your uh, labor supply? Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, in Metro Edmonton right now, we have a population of about 1.4 million people. So when people are looking at the labors for the project, they're bringing labor in all around Metro Edmonton for this particular thing. Mm-hmm. They actually have a, a busing program that they bring workers to the plant site and then take them back home. Mm-hmm. That way they lower their, their carbon footprint when they're going back and forth sure. and uh, making effective use of, of things that are going forward. We just actually did a, a really nice study. So for the people that are listening to your podcast, go to a Alberta's Industrial Heartland and go to a labor study. And that labor study talks about where the people live and where they work. So we found in the Heartland, the majority of the people that are working in the Heartland actually are coming from the city of Edmonton proper. So sharing the wealth in the region and jobs in, in the region as well. So maybe you can define what the... Um the Alberta um, industrial heartland is like the, uh, the geographical area. Sure. Um, it's, uh, it's located uh, north uh, east of Metro Edmonton mm-hmm. and it started about 20 years ago. The first people that were involved in this particular thing were Strathcona County, Lamont County and the city of Fort Saskatchewan and also Sturgeon County. So four original partners, um, it's approximately 560 uh, square kilometers of heavy industrial land. So that land is pre-zoned for heavy industry. It's located right along the North Saskatchewan River. And it's at the nexus of a lot of rail lines, a lot of pipelines, 
and uh, a lot of infrastructure. Uh, we've got both CN rail there, CP rail, uh, a lot of major, major pipelines that are bringing the uh, bitumen from up north uh, down to our area and uh, shipping it out from around this, this particular area as well. Uh, each of the counties uh, contribute part of the funding for the Alberta's industrial heartland through new assessment that comes to it. So uh, the heartland is kind of the anchor association that's been looking to attract firms here for over 20 years. And then once uh, a, a firm has located, then they get uh, a certain portion that's been pre-agreed to help fund the organization. Uh, organization has been extremely successful and uh, we're looking for more good things to happen. As a matter of fact, one of our guys is on a uh, sales trip uh, over to uh, uh, China right now, as a matter of fact, with uh, one of the government ministers looking at the natural gas opportunities that are happening. Yeah, it's quite something to see when you look at all the refineries and the upgraders in that area. And it, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a city or a world in itself. And, you know, when I was there, I, I just couldn't believe how, how much uh, development is in that area. Um, maybe you could, a lot, there's been a lot of talk and, you know, a lot of talk, I guess I'm going to move a little bit more to the political side in terms of the clean cleanliness and the, the environmental impact that, um, that Alberta has on the economy. And there's, there's been a lot of political side too, you know, especially, you know, well, with Wexit and, and I, a lot of people are unhappy with, you know, being able to get the product to market and, and especially with Trudeau and Trudeau government. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a, a really big one. So first of all, let's talk about existing product that we're, we're having. So uh, out of the three refineries, uh, of the total uh, of eight refineries in Western Canada, three of them are located right within Strathcona County. Um, the, the, we ship approximately 63%, refined 63% of all the gasoline, uh, diesel, uh, new diesel, and uh, bottom of the barrel. Uh, right here within Strathcona County. So we do that on a, a system of rail and, and pipeline. The firms that are involved in that have been car cutting their carbon footprint immensely. For a matter of fact, uh, Shell. So Shell produces about 113,000 barrels per day, refines 113,000 barrels per day. They have cut their greenhouse gases by 30% over the last five years. They've got a project up there uh, called the Shell Carbon Capture Sequestration. It's the equivalent of taking 250,000 cars per year off the road, gathering that CO2 off the stacks and injecting it deep underground. A lot of the firms are uh, utilizing best practices in terms of uh, lowering their greenhouse gases and becoming more effective when they're, they're, they're going through their refining processes as well. So when people think about oil, uh, you have it for a lot of the motor fuels are going forward. But then as soon as you go up the value step into hydrocarbons, you're uh, looking at other products that are happening. For example, I talked before about the Interpipe project. Interpipe is taking propane, uh, so a, a gas, turning that gas into propylene. And then the next value step up is polypropylene. So polypropylene is used in a whole bunch of different plastic manufacturing mm -hmm. Uh, if you take a look at a Canadian $20 bill, that's actually made of, of, of polypropylene. You take a look at a plastic bottle, that's made of a certain type of polypropylene a, a, as well. 
and the amount of value that your, your extra value that you're getting along the value chain is uh, really quite good. And that's the direction that we're trying to go in Alberta's industrial heartland, having extra value that's coming from the oil and gas uh, going forward. The other part is how effective people are these days in making use of, uh, of, of technology, uh, best practices in technology to reduce their greenhouse gases. Uh, each, each one of the refineries has a program every year, and the refineries in Strathcona County uh, are the leaders, as a matter of fact, for ExxonMobil across North America. They've won awards for having the cleanest and best operating and the lowest accident structure that's going forward. Uh, Imperial Oil does about 200,000 barrels per day out of the refinery in, in Strathcona County. And Cyril, here's a little uh, trivia question for you. Who originally started the three-star selection on Hockey Night in Canada? The three-star, who would start the... Uh... The three-star selection, three stars yeah. in night? Yeah, would it originally... Um. Well, maybe it's loaded. Maybe does Don is Don Cherry the guy who did that? Uh, no. The the original uh, group that actually had it was Imperial Oil. It was Imperial Oil Three Star Selection. They did it. Why would they do that? Yeah, because they were one of the major sponsors on uh, the original oh, Hockey Night in Canada. Okay. Right. Yeah. And how long ago and was that? That was back in uh, started in 1957, 1958. Holy cow! It goes back that far, huh? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then. Then here's another trivia question for you as well. Hey, I thought saying. I was supposed to be asking the questions. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to I set the tone for you, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Here's another question for you. Because I'm uh, zero for one so far. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Imperial Oil, they've got their gas station that's branded uh, ESSO. Mm -hmm. And so do you know where the word ESSO comes from? Uh, no, I don't. So the parent company for Imperial, uh, Imperial Oil, Exxon Mobil, actually was Standard Oil. Mm -hmm. So you look for the, the actual uh, letters in the alphabet, it's S-O. That's where S-O got its branding. And they brand their gas stations in Canada, uh, some in the States, and some over in Europe uh, using that way. Yeah, wow. And that's how they got that. Hmm. It's been around for a while. Wow. Yeah. And so Nova Chemicals in the Red Deer, uh, they, they do a similar thing in terms of uh, um, using the feedstock of propane and moving it to polypropane, right? And then, and then into plastic after that, right? Yeah, they're, they're more into what they call the uh, ethylene chain. So they're, they're making plastics and using the ethane molecules mm. as opposed to the propane molecules. Oh, okay. But very, very significant down uh, around uh, central Alberta. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. So... What do you think the impact of, of sustainability, green technology, such as electric cars, you know, big out here in Ontario and Quebec, and how do, will that impact the oil and gas industry in Alberta? That's a, a really good question. And uh, I just read a couple studies uh, actually over the weekend about the adaptation level that happens to go for electric cars, mm -hmm. the uh, amount of product that comes from the hydrocarbon industry that goes into electric cars and the pace that people adopt uh, electric cars. Uh, also the impact of cold weather on electric cars and cold weather on batteries. Sure. So first of all, uh, I'll start off with uh, electric cars and uh, how you need a robust uh, electrical system for them as well. So if you're going to be charging your car at home, 
you need at least a 200 amp service to charge that. Uh, in older parts of Edmonton, uh, the amount of electrical service out there is only 100 amp service. So you're gonna have to look at a, uh, as you're getting that critical mass of electric vehicles, really upgrading the electrical system around there. Then the question becomes, what is generating the electricity for that system? Is it natural gas? Is it coal? Is it sustainables? What is the pace of development they're looking forward to? I was down at a conference in San Antonio uh, a couple years ago mm -hmm. uh, where the car manufacturers were talking with the refineries and the petrochemical people. And they believe anytime there's change that happens, change normally takes somewhere between 30 to 50 years to make it through. So you have an invention, they have the first people that are taking care of that things. And then you have the ramp up that starts happening. And then you have the infrastructure that is in the background that has to take care of that kind of stuff. So electric cars are, are really good. But one of the problems we have here in Alberta is going to be distance driving and not having the infrastructure along major highways or secondary highways for charging vehicles. Last year, we had a couple of guys that were traveling between Edmonton and Calgary in the cold, cold months. And anytime you're in uh, using an electric car, your battery strength starts going down at a uh, logarithmic scale as, as soon as the temperature is below zero. Mm -hmm. And you also have to have heaters and a lot of other things. So if you say your, your battery had a, a 300 kilometer range, when it's really cold, it uh, can go down to 150 to 200 kilometers uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. So that's gonna be one of the issues that uh, go forward with that. The other concern and, and challenge you have is uh, disposing of the, the batteries, the lithium ion batteries that are, 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 are used. So when you take a look at the total carbon footprint that goes into electric car, and uh, you can research that on the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, on the internet, the uh, carbon footprint for electric cars is a lot higher than it is for standard cars that we've got out there right now. So long-term, uh, we'll see uh, we'll, we, we will not see a silver bullet. I don't think we'll see electric cars replacing gas, diesel, but we'll see uh, a series of advancements that are happening between all types of vehicles and the infrastructure that's needed to support uh, those things going forward. There's a, a really good program happening in Southern Alberta right now where they're looking to get charging stations along the uh, one of the, the Highway 3 down there in Southern Alberta at this point in time. Here in Sherwood Park, we only have two charging stations, uh, as a matter of fact, for electric cars that are available for the public. One's in front of PV Mart and one's in front of our Canadian Tire. Are they being used? Um, the times I've been down there, uh, no. Hmm. Every time I've been down there, I've never seen anyone charging them up at all. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's interesting because out here you see it just really taking off. It's interesting that you talk <laughs> about carbon footprint and what that means. Um, and then the disposable lithium-ion battery and also the cleaning climate and whether or not uh, you're actually getting the distance out of them because of the battery being so cold. And, yeah, it's uh, it seems almost a, it is, well, I don't know if it's a fact because I think it is here to stay, but uh, at the same time, I was concerned for Alberta in the sense that if, if this is something that is here to stay, is Alberta embracing that? Well, they're looking at all types of, of things that are on all types of technology and not ruling any one out and uh, ensuring that we're, we're on top of the situation. 
uh, right now, like there's been a, a discussion about peak oil that seems to come up about every 10 years. Mm-hmm. When's peak oil going to happen? When's the consumption goes down? Uh, my belief is uh, we have not seen it. Uh, based on price, based on new technologies, we're going to continue to still have uh, hydrocarbons as the major fuel going forward towards the future. And it'll be how we embrace some of the renewables that are out there and how we store the renewables uh, that are going. And uh, also, uh, you take a look at some other examples in the world. You take a look over in, in, in Germany right now where they're talking about phasing all the coal plants out well, every once in a while, the wind stops blowing. And if you don't have storage capacity and the wind doesn't blow for six days, uh, you're going to have a major problem of firing up some uh, either peak generation or looking to have a backup for the system as well when uh, renewables aren't happening. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. So the question I was asking, I was talking about uh, rail cars and, and railing the oil out to get to market. Um what has changed since like before is that there was seemed a problem getting the product to market. And then all of a sudden now there's been such a cry for new pipelines. And to be honest, I think I know the answer to this question, but I want to hear your interpretation of that is, uh, you know, politically, you know, the Keystone and then the, um, uh, the one out to the trans Canada pipeline out, or the, got to forget the one going out to BC. And then trans there Mountain. used to be the trans Mountain. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what's your interpretation that there's big, big uh, pressure for the government to endorse this and especially under the Trudeau government uh, buying the pipeline, but then really not being able to get it through? Well, that's a, a really uh, interesting loaded question, Cyril. So I'll take a crack at it. Uh, number one, uh, the transportation of fuels through pipelines is the safest way of trans- transporting hydrocarbons uh, in, in, in my estimation, in the world at this point in time. And in Canada, we've got a great track record. Uh, we've got an area right in, in Sherwood Park where we call it Pipeline Alley that we've got over 60 pipelines are converging around there. In our history in Strathcona County, we've only had one minor incident in those 50 years. So second of all, we'll talk about what they call the main uh, transmission line. So a main transmission line is something that's at least 36 to 48 inches that's shipping large, large volumes of uh, oil, gas, and uh, other hydrocarbons. So the Trans Mountain Pipeline actually starts right in Strathcona County, and that has been purchased by the Canadian government for about $4.5 billion. So they have a separate company that is uh, running that, that are composed of people that work for Kinder Morgan uh, and, and running that jewel going forward. Uh, they have uh, already twinned that pipeline through Jasper National Park uh, about 10 years ago. And you can't even tell that the pipeline was, was done through a major park uh, at that point in time. Uh, the way that, that it works is they have so many strict standards when you're doing construction of pipelines. It's really, really amazing. And the amount of instrumentation that happens did you know that you can shut down a pipeline? And we have a lot of pipeline control centers uh, located here in Strathcona County by four mouse clicks. So the guys notice a pressure drop, they can shut down the line uh, with four, four mouse clicks It's going forward. So we've got people from Pembina, we've got people from Trans Mountain, and we've got people 
from uh, Interpipe that are all have operation centers that control the product that's being shipped going back and forth. Uh, one of the things that you highlighted is rail. Well, rail demand really went up because pipeline capacity was being reached and they couldn't get any more product on the pipelines to get their product to the market. So we've had a couple uh, new projects around our particular area that are shipping a lot of uh, rail cars with product. So one in particular is the uh, Kinder Morgan uh, Esso, where they're having a lot of product that's coming from Curl Lake and uh, getting shipped down to the refinery where they're using it as feedstock and uh, going through the refining process uh, towards the future. That product gets shipped out throughout Western Canada and actually down to the United States. So we have a, a lot of rail, uh, a lot of pipelines that are going forward. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the pipeline projects that we had uh, right here in, in Strathcona County is uh, a project that actually put a pipe bridge right across a major through fare called uh, Baseline Road. So six, six lanes of traffic. People say, well, what is that? I said, well, it's like a wildlife crossing, except for wildlife, you have pipelines that are going across the top to get product going back and forth. Uh, so my, my belief that the Trans Mountain Pipeline will be built. This past weekend, there was uh, two of the uh, Indigenous communities have signed on with the Trans Mountain. So I believe that leaves about uh, three two to three Indigenous communities still in BC that haven't signed on board going forward. And I believe with Parliament being recalled, this is something that they're going to be looked at. Currently, there is construction happening. Uh, they are, there are guys that have got construction tours and they're hiring uh, for the expansion of the, the Trans Mountain. The other interesting one is the uh, XL pipeline through TC Energy. So TC Energy, that used to be Trans Canada. They're now rebranded yep. themselves and called TC Energy. Uh, once okay. the, the, the top portion is built uh, to connect down to the refineries uh, on the U.S. Gulf Coast, we're going to see more volumes uh, available of the heavy crude that we've got from Alberta going forward. It's the uh, really interesting thing is the refineries in the U.S. Gulf Coast are set up for heavy oils that are coming from Venezuela and uh, also Mexico. So the Canadian oil, uh, the harder bitumen, really makes uh, a, a good difference uh, for the feedstock because they've got what they call a, a coker that helps it go through its, its process and uh, makes it more effective. And they're getting really good pricing because right now in North America, we have what we call uh, stranded oil prices here in, in Alberta. We're not getting what they call WTI, uh, West Texas Intermediate. We're getting Canadian sweet pricing, which is uh, slightly below uh, the uh, the price of West Texas Intermediate and uh, also uh, Brent pricing as well. Yeah, there's about ten dollars difference because Western Can Canada Select is going about forty six dollars a barrel, and right now uh, WTI is at about fifty six. So, uh, the uh, the the um, difference is not as big as it, as it used to be, yeah. which is good for, for Alberta because then they're getting more value. Alberta's getting more value for their their oil prices yeah absolutely correct yep you know where at one time there was a 30 dollars difference in that and that hurt alberta significantly yeah that was part of the, the previous government where they actually had a curtailment uh process where uh people had to cut back on their production which hit the profits and uh uh had a, a major effect uh that really went through our, our entire economy yeah for sure
So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. As you're probably aware, is that Ontario and Quebec, and I bring this up in my other podcast, they import their all, all their oil. Not they don't purchase. All, not all of it. Uh, as a matter of fact, in uh, in Ontario, I'm sorry, in uh, Quebec, uh, they import about 65 percent of their oil. Uh, 35 okay. percent actually does come from Alberta. In Ontario, they uh, they do have some imported oil, but uh, they still have a, a lot coming from Alberta there. Okay, I thought I thought the majority of the oil was coming um, externally there through other countries. Um, for the re- refineries that are located in in uh, Quebec and actually the, the Maritimes, so the Irving re- refinery, Irving, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're getting theirs from from the Saudis of Venezuela, and uh, actually uh, the refineries that are located in Quebec, they're getting some of their product uh, via uh, tankers, but they are getting some from from Western Canada as well. Yeah, okay. I can do the re- I can do the research and I'll get you the, the exact uh, numbers and breakout. Yeah, that'd be good. I'm curious about that because I I was in the, the assumption or what I was getting is, and I I met with some other oil experts and they were saying that uh, essentially Alberta's um, heavy oil is not is not is not as good for the Ontario market compared to Saskatchewan's. Uh, just in the type of uh, oil coming out, it's a little lighter coming out of Saskatchewan. So I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure. And then I, I had heard that you know basically that Quebec didn't want any of the uh, of Alberta's as as they coined it, the dirty oil, and that was kind of surprising, shocking to me as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> not completely as well. But uh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta switch topics a little bit there and uh, make this a little bit more personal. First of all, uh, you and I have known each other for for years, and uh, uh, actually, Jerry, you were the actually probably. I think we started pretty much in around the same time in economic development, and I started in nineteen ninety six, and I don't know when you started. But, yeah, that was uh, right around the same time. I still remember the very first conference that that we uh, met each other down in southern Alberta, there, Cyril, and uh, talked about Pitcher it. Creek. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. the other one was uh, when we had the conference down uh, uh, for Airdrie, uh, right around that that particular area. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, oh it's cutting out. Can you hear me? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, in Airdrie. Yeah, I was. Are you still there? Hello? I got a call in there, and that kind of cuts me out. They completely cut me out. So actually, okay. Kent, Rup- Kent Rupert was just calling me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very timely. Yeah. yeah, that was Mr. Airdrie himself. Anyhow, um, so that's where I was working. I was working at the city of Airdrie. And uh, it was funny. Back then, in economic development, completely different compared to now. It was pretty much all guys. Yeah, there's definitely been a change in the, the workforce. We've, we've, we're getting a lot more ladies that are getting involved and uh, committed uh, ladies on the, on the long term going forward. I take a look at the uh, leadership structure for uh, EDA Alberta, and it uh, looks like we've got, well, currently we do have a female that's uh, president for EDA Alberta and for the Economic Developers of Canada, uh, Eileen Murray out of Ontario, uh, mm-hmm. is, is taking over there as well. And then We've got uh, at least three more uh, females that are, are going to be taking leaderships and be, uh, positions within the EDAC executive and becoming presidents in the next little while. 
Oh, that's great. And yeah, and I think, and that's changed. It's, it's improved it a lot. I think it's, you know, I don't know, maybe this is, uh, but it, it seems to be far more of a professional organization with the balance of male and female. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's getting that particular way and making sure that we understand that, that kind of diversity that uh, exists in, in the workforce and uh, having that balance, like having a lot of ladies in the field has helped balance it out, not just a completely male world, which, which has been really good for the profession. Yeah, no, I hear you. And uh, what do you think in terms of your career in economic development? Uh, you know, I, you've always been very passionate, very informative, and uh, you've been, the, you know, I, I guess I've always looked up to you just in your energy and your, uh, well, not I guess, I know I've looked up to you and, and uh, just your ability to relate with people and uh, very knowledgeable in the economic development side. Um, if there's one thing that you can think that is, I, I guess, important to you in economic development or is, is just resonating, what would it be? The power of sharing information and the power of sharing best practices that go out there. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just uh, honored by the Economic Developers of Alberta, where they gave me uh, HLM, the Honorary Life Membership. And uh, what, what that indicated is uh, a lot of my colleagues and my peers have really embraced the way that I share information, the way that I mentor a lot of people, and how I teach a lot of people. I take a look around the Metro Edmonton region and uh, in Sturgeon County as uh, a gentleman that uh, used to work with me on my team over there. Uh, there's uh, people all around the region uh, that always come up to me and they said, we, we thank you so much for sharing your best practices as you're going forward. Then I learn off them and uh, they, they learn off me. Uh, it's always kind of interesting. Uh, one of the last uh, EDA functions uh, that I went to, I always think, well, I've, I've, learned a whole bunch and there's not too much left well last eda conference i learned so many different new things and it was like you know what we always have to be open for learning for the best practices the other thing that i've learned is the power of relationships as i'm going through my health journey right now i've still got some people in the background that uh, continue to phone me when i'm when I'm, when I'm at home to bring me up to speed on projects they're, they're working for and that's really, really key for me when you're dealing with people that are working on uh, eight to twelve billion dollar projects and two billion dollar projects going forward. That they want to keep in touch. They want to make sure that I'm in touch and the relationships that I've got, uh, both at the county, at the provincial, and the federal level, that we can uh, use those going forward for getting meetings with uh, key people as the projects are inching their way to having the actual announcements and uh, actually getting built. Yeah, no, that's great. So maybe you can share, if you're comfortable with me, is sharing what you're, you, you, were, you alluded to, your health and your health issues. And uh, you've just been stealth there as well. And, and just how positive your attitude is, not only in economic development, but in your personal life. Maybe if you're okay sharing your journey and, and just where you're at. Sure. Um, so uh, about four years ago, uh, actually three years ago at this point in time, uh, I started turning a little bit orange and people saying, what's happening to you? And then my, my good friends at that time said, Oh, are you starting to vote for the NDP? Cause you know, Alberta, <laughs> the colors are orange. Yeah. And I said, Nope, Nope. Yeah. And uh, turned out that I had a, a blockage in my bile duct. 
So toxins yes, were that. going through my system and causing my uh, my skin to turn orange and uh, having you know stuff in my my eyeballs. I end up having a procedure called the Whipple procedure, where they uh, removed the obstruction and uh, took a look and made sure everything was going well. So I was uh, doing good, but then they kept me under observation. They said, we've got a concern that maybe there's something else that's going on in your body. And one of the benefits that we've got is a really good health system here in Alberta. Uh, They kept monitoring me and uh, had a CT scans. And all of a sudden I heard that fateful thing that come in, we got to talk to you about you've been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, the type of cancer is a, a form of stomach cancer. And uh, in the past, it has been really challenged. Uh, there was no known cure for it. Since I was diagnosed, uh, they've come out with a new protocol where they've got me on three different types of chemo drugs. And the chemo drugs are very effective. And uh, my tumors have gone down over 90%. Part of the journey that I've had going through what I call this healing journey is uh, I really um, uh, learning more about myself, learning about the power of friendships. And Cyril, you were, you were a good friend of mine. Every time I see you at conferences, just the energy that you bring back to me, like when you came out for the EDAC conference here in Edmonton, it was uh, really, really nice. Another, pe- uh, another piece is the subconscious conscious level that when you go through healing, that you have to put a lot of thought out there that you're, conscious starts dealing with your subconscious then there's another really interesting aspect that i'm going through right now and it's called quantum entanglement so the vibrational energy effect that it has on certain things i'll give you a good example my, my sister uh is a great believer uh in and setting out the power of intention my last chemo she did a power of intention intense work for three minutes the day of my chemo, it was my best chemo in uh, five, five sessions where they wow. found my veins real easy and uh, the drugs did not sting when they were, uh, they were getting injected in, into, my, in, into my body. So it's been really interesting. Uh, the other thing is... So, now so is that power of intention, is that a mindset that you, your sister was doing with you and training you to be stronger? Or... Yep. She, she, okay. actually, she actually uh, projected the power of intention. So... Uh, you know, I call it the energy waves up, up to yeah. me, focusing on a certain part of my body and saying, mm. I want you to have a good, easy, clean chemo that's going forward. And it was uh, pretty amazing. Like she said wow. she was going to do it. And then that day it, it happened to me. It was the, the best chemo ever that I had as well. So would that be similar to Reiki, you think? Um, along the vibrational energy spectrum? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you when you were saying something. Uh, no, and I was just uh, I was going to make a comment. Now, the, the other side effect that I've got from having uh, going through this uh, the cancer treatments is uh, side effect of losing my hair. So now I, I finally understand how you've been feeling for most of your life, Cyril. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you look great. <laughs> I like the do idea, right? Once you go bald, you never go back. Oh, ab- absolutely. However, in the winter, it gets a little chilly. I didn't realize it gets a little how, much, frosty. how much you have to wear a hat or a, a toque, uh, especially out here in the West when it gets cold. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But I like the hat you have. Yeah, and I, I got a, another uh, more formal one as well. You know, it was interesting during the conference, 
everyone could say, I know where Jerry was sitting because he's the only guy that's wearing that little that, that hat at that point in time. So that was my, uh, my brandy going on at the conference. Well, that was one of my highlight, highlights this evening at the con- conference and just catching up. And uh, for me in economic development, just how we all get together and, and we're we're colleagues and we work together and uh, we share information, but we're more, foremost friends and we, we, we care a lot about each other. But, you know, uh, an opportunity to do a presentation to uh, a group of new doctors that uh, are, are considering going into palliative care. And uh, there was a, a series of uh, six tables that were around there. And I shared my journey with uh, each of the healthcare professionals that were around the table. And uh, they were amazed to hear the power of attitude and how mm-hmm. I took accountability for my part of, of healing and how the people in the health system have to take accountability for their part as well. The other part mm. is to having, again, the, the, the connection between the conscious, the subconscious, and just having people that are pulling for you. Like It's amazing at the EDAC conference, the amount of people that were praying for me, sending out uh, healing energy all across Canada United States and, and other parts of the world. It's been just absolutely amazing going through that uh, that journey and um, and getting the effect that how I've touched a lot of different people and in turn uh, they have touched me back uh, the two way street for a, a really good relationship. And I I was just so surprised even when we had our our, um, our AGM how just open and honest you have been about your cancer and that really helps other people. Yeah, thank you. That was uh, pretty yeah. nice. I actually had uh, three people that came up to me and thanked me for sharing that and also kind of told me their story about their cancer journey. And it was uh, it was pretty, pretty interesting. And uh, for them, they go, wow, you're, you're handling. And I said, well, I'm choosing to I'm, I'm choosing to learn from this thing. I'm going forward and I'm being uh, really positive about the experience and about the outcomes that that are going to be happening as, as well for me. No, absolutely, and that, like you say, is the uh, the conscious and the subconscious. That the mind is such a powerful thing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, what the mind can conceive, the body can kind of go through, and that subconscious, conscious, and the quantum entanglement that happens all the time as well. Yeah, no, for sure. So I'm going to ask, uh, change a little bit to another question. I said to some questions before. Um, so can you tell me a story about uh, the most embarrassing moment you had with me or without me? In the <laughs> well, no, we, we, it's not an embarrassing moment. It was a, a fun time down in Pincher Creek uh, when you and I were there. And they had a, a lady from uh, Economic Development Edmonton, uh, Lindsay. And uh, Lindsay was a communication specialist that was coming down to talk in the economic development fields and uh, – really kind of had an idea. She knew what she was talking about. And uh, you and I had a little bit of fun with her by teasing her and asking her some general questions about what her role was in economic development and what economic development was as well. So mm. she, she knew that we were having fun with her and we were teasing her, but we weren't malicious. And that was, that was the best part where you and I, whenever we're with people and we're having fun, we're teasing people as well. Another fun time, I, I think, is uh, the time when we met some colleagues in, uh, in Newfoundland. And uh, okay. you were very gracious. And uh, we had one female colleague that needed to get escorted home. And you were just a gentleman to get her back to her, 
her, her hotel, but you didn't have any money. And I gave you twenty bucks so you could take a cab, so you could take yeah. get, get it back. Or and that was that was really nice that you did it. You took care of a colleague that uh, went a little bit too far. Yeah, we always take care of our own, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. The other card yeah. is uh, when we get together at those conferences and our friendships from across uh, Canada, Cyril, as well. Like you think about Dan DeGazio, you, you yeah, think about the guys guy. from uh, New Brunswick that we hang out with, other people from Ontario, guys from sure. British Columbia, John Watson and, and those guys. Yeah, it's Watson, always, yeah. uh, always neat for the people that you've met and continue to do stuff with. Yeah, I know there's some great people in economic development. And I find the economic developers, they're, they're a special type of person because they're, they're usually someone that has to really be strong on the relationship side in order to engage investors. They have to like you and they have to like you in order to invest in the community. And so I find that economic developers are typically like really you know, salty earth, good people that are, you know, aren't shy a lot of times and are, are willing to are, are good communicators. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good summary of the characteristics that are needed in the economic development field, strong relationships, follow up, uh, staying true to your values. Uh, one of the things that I've found is it's always interesting when you get uh, a new council on board and mm-hmm. some of the counselors want to direct you to do jobs because they're, uh, they want a popularity contest and all of a sudden they're the smartest people on the block. They're smarter than economic developers and they're going to tell them what to do. What you got to do is make sure they understand exactly what economic development is what the strategic plan is, what the work plan is, and when you're doing stuff to follow through, but get them involved in the loop with you as well. So they become part of your team. So they're empowered with knowledge going forward. No, I agree. And that, that has been a challenge challenge for me too. Uh, just exactly that working with a number of municipalities and, and not really having a clear understanding of what economic development is and, and trying to push forward their own agenda and, but like I think you have a good point is that education is key and we and that's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast because a lot of people don't understand what economic development is and even a lot of the municipalities they don't understand what like the the leaders within the municipalities and so it's up to us to educate them yeah and there's many forms of economic development as well they're out there like you uh, had a podcast earlier uh with Margot and talking where she really focuses on the community uh, going forward to, to build up uh, capacity and plans in the, the local community. Uh, and then for us, uh, based on the size of our community and our uh, FDI, Foreign Direct Investment Strategy, attracting a lot of new firms to invest in our, our community going forward to provide those good, well-paying jobs and provide the tax base that the community can go forward with to do uh, really good stuff towards the future in terms of their reserves and in terms of uh, making sure they take care of the, uh, of our residents as well. Sure. And for me, and I think you've alluded in terms of how you've shared the, um, you're talking about Tyler before and, um, but he's now one of the older guys, but it's the new people that are coming in. And it's up to us to really is in some way succession plan or share that knowledge with youth and ensure that they, uh, I, I guess, can uh, uh, learn, learn from what we've done or learn, you know, what just, just pass on that information on economic development. And I remember when I first started in economic development, I think I was 30 or 32 years old. And uh, I was just awestruck by everyone and so much to learn from and 
I always appreciate those people that uh, spent the time and kind of helped me um, just with, you know, some of the details that I might not, that just comes with time, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I had a, a little bit of a heads up on that because I used to be involved in selling commercial real estate. And mm-hmm. I knew exactly what it took to do a deal to make sure some stuff happened. So the amount of facts that the real estate brokers are looking for when they're making investment decisions, purchasing decisions, and new build decisions going forward. So uh, it really helped me a lot to understand that kind of a psyche. Then working internally within uh, a municipality as well, so you can educate other people that really understand what's going on. One of the best practices that we've done is we go to a conference down in Whistler every year called the ICSC conference. We bring a planner with us so that in case there's any serious questions, they can get into some planning stuff. Well, that planner said to me, I didn't believe how hard you have to work at a conference and the amount of time you have to be there and how you have to be on your game all the time. He goes, you have to understand, you have to follow up and you have to do it. He goes, now when those people show up with an application on our side of the table, I really pay more attention to how much upfront work was, was, was taken and was needed before someone could actually uh, put an application for uh, a building permit going forward. Yeah, you really have to inform and educate them. And uh, uh, that's a good point. So you've been a, a leader in economic development for a number of years, and uh, both on a national level with the Economic Developers Association in Canada. On a provincial level, we both served as in a leadership capacity with the Economic Developers of Alberta and, and you know, been involved in, in provincially. But one of the things that I really see you strong with is, is within your own uh, organization with Strathcona and how you're able to really empower people. And uh, so maybe you can talk about that because I haven't, uh, I haven't heard too many people say, oh, that Jerry, he's a jerk or blah, 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 blah. I always hear such good positive things from you, not only with your own staff, but just throughout the uh, economic development world. And uh, what's your secret to, in terms of your management? So what's my secret sauce? Uh, I like, to, yeah. um, when I go forward, I treat people with respect uh, until proven otherwise. And I always give them chances to make sure uh, I always make a point of following up when I'm making commitments uh, for, for time and effort of my, my own personal time that, that's involved. And I like to show them through my actions what stuff is required. A lot of times when I have uh, new people on my team and we go down to some of our sales missions down to Calgary, where we're working with our uh, key people that have uh, infrastructure within Strathcona County, the first little while, it was like a, a major thing. But after a while, it became, well, this is what we have to do. We have to set up that we have four or five meetings per day. We've got to have at least two meetings at night that we follow up with people to get things going forward. Uh, one of my best stories is meeting a, a group uh, called Meg Energy. They were at a golf tournament. And uh, one guy from Meg, his name was Tom Corscadden, said to me, do you happen to have any information about Strathcona County? I go, I just happened to. I had a map, and I'm always famous for having my USB sticks with a lot yep. of uh, digital information that, that's around. Then I followed up with him to make sure that he understood what was going on. And 
uh, the next time I came down in Calgary, so that the third time I was down there, they were looking at making a major land uh, buy. And some of the maps that I brought down there were used at the boardroom table, indicating where some of the uh, their competitors were, where pipelines mm-hmm. were, where the rail was for making their sure. actual decision. Where a picture always tells a great story. The other things I like doing is sharing with people how overhead aerial oblique photos really help out a lot. We have a special program at Strathcote County that we fly our portion of the heartland every year. And we have the locations of where companies are building and where companies have built and uh, also have the backdrop of uh, Edmonton. So they they see how close we are. And that really tells us a a great story for people that, that, that go forward. Uh, one of the other things uh, that I really have, been, have valued is the way that I've been treated by Strathcona County as well, where it's a two-way street, um, done a good job for them, and they in turn have really supported me through the, the, the journey that I'm currently going through with cancer and the economic journey as well, uh, where they really appreciated all the stuff that I did in the economic development field to make things happen. Uh, the announcement that came down about the interpipe deal was pretty amazing. It happened uh, on uh, December 18th, uh, two years ago. I got the text from uh, a lady saying, okay, this project has been approved by the board. Just so happened that particular day, uh, we were having a meeting and we had a meeting with our planning department. So she brought her team. Uh, we had our team, the planning team, had a chance to introduce her to the mayor, to my boss at that point in time. And it's pretty neat when you can say, We've made the final investment decision. We're building a project worth $3.5 billion in your community. That was, yeah, wow. I always call it my overnight success, six years in the making. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big one, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's a great answer, Jerry. And uh, I, I'm going to, you know, I've taken a lot of your time off, and I really appreciate you uh, spending time interviewing uh, me. Is there any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share with my new audience? <laughs> sure. Um, one of the best things is learning from other people uh, that anytime you meet someone, you can always learn off that other person as, as to what's happening. Uh, and then the way that people in the economic development field share best practices across Canada. Last year, when I came out to the uh, EDCO conference, I really enjoyed myself uh, looking and meeting so many different people. And uh, when the president of EDCO was at EDAC, I had a chance to kind of return that favor and have her out for supper when we had our, our team going out for supper that was happening. And then it was core basic problems that are happening across Canada, unique regional varieties, but you know, overall the people involved in the economic development field are, are really good. And if you've been in the field for a period of time, how you get to share those best practices and make a difference in the community. That's, that's really what I, I think is, is my, my biggest driver at the end of the day. I have made a difference and I will continue to make a difference in our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you are, you do share a lot and you share all, you're always, you know, you always have, I have a lot of your, actually your uh, USB sticks and I've kept back you over the years. And uh, I go through, you know, just because, uh, you know, you're spending the time and sharing with me. And then I think it's important on my side, too, to make sure that I'm, I'm, I understand as well. And uh, 
and we can always learn from each other and, and you you are great at that so anyhow I, I i just wanted to say you know um thank you for taking the time and interviewing with me and uh, thank you for being such a a, a good colleague and uh a great person to work with over the years. I've enjoyed uh, being at all the conferences with you and, uh, and more to come. Thank you, Cheryl. I consider you a good friend and it was really nice to connect with you and connect with you on this uh, podcast to share best practices going forward. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for participating in exciting economic development and we'll be talking soon. Take good. care, Jerry. Good. Okay. Cheryl, thank you yeah. so much. Take care. Okay. Bye. Well, that's the end of this podcast. Thank you for listening to What The and Exciting Economic Development. I apologize for not uh, putting out another recording right away. Unfortunately, I had problems with my podcast studio, that being my earbuds and my cell phone. My son stole my earbuds, so I was unable to record or edit anything. So uh, I apologize to my listeners, and I hope you continue to listen. Our next episode will be guest speaker Jazz the Healer. Stay tuned for an exciting one, and I hope to get that out before Christmas. Otherwise, you know, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the insight that Jerry has uh, provided. And at the end of the day, when I think of cancer, I think, what the fuck? <laughs>